Greetings, everyone, and a warm welcome to our third installment of Indotechno. Indotechno is a weekly podcast in which we invite a guest in to discuss all matters Indonesia and technology related. The podcast will be hosted in English with a subsequent transcript made available in Bahasa Indonesia. Kami akan memberikan transkrip podcast Bahasa Indonesia di situs web kami. My name is Alan Hallowell. I'm the host of Indotechno. And I'm also the founder of Gizmo Advisors, in addition to serving as venture partner at Alpha JWC Ventures. Nelson Mandela once said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Indeed, education has literally become front and center in most of our lives during the COVID-19 period, with many of us parents watching our children follow their teachers online from their bedrooms or studies. Some of us have even reactivated the teacher in ourselves to undertake homeschooling. EduTech now stands as one of the fastest growing areas of investment in the venture capital world, along with fintech and healthcare. I could not be any prouder or more privileged to have Najila Shihab, founder of Sekolah.mu, as our guest today to discuss the educational sector in Indonesia and how she is leveraging technology to improve its reach and efficacy. Najila, thank you so much for joining today. Hi, Alan. Thank you. It's great to be here. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have a very interesting conversation uh, today. We'd love first to know more about your background. Uh, can you introduce yourself, Ila? Yes, I'm uh, an educator. I've been doing this in Indonesia for more than 20 years now. I started, uh, my background uh, was actually a lecturer. My background is in uh, educational and child psychology, but uh, I founded uh, Chikal. It's it's a it's a private schools with a network of uh, ten schools all over Indonesia, and also uh, a teacher college, Campus Guru Chikal, who's been working in more than two hundred cities in uh, Indonesia. So I've worked with uh, children from you know the youngest uh, classes at uh, Chikal is for six months old. Uh, and I've worked with teachers from di- different backgrounds, from uh, very high-fee private schools, international uh, accredited in big cities, up to very uh, small schools with limited capacities in the uh, furthest island of uh, Indonesia. And it's been an incredible uh, journey as an uh, educator. And now starting doing sekolahmu, uh, leveraging uh, education technology has been another uh, learning journey for me, uh, Alan. And it's, you know, it's like starting all over again, in a way, because, you know, there's so many things to learn, uh, to understand about when you're talking about pedagogy in uh, combination with uh, technology. But but all those experience and the networks that uh, we've been uh, building in the past 20 years really, really come as uh, really useful in refining our strategy. Ila, Sekolamu seems to have an extremely wide range of solutions from kindergarten to retired people, as you just mentioned. Is there a particular focus that you have right now? Yes, actually, our, our, our biggest user or you know the our most popular uh, program right now is the karirmu program uh, 
So when you're talking about uh, sekolahmu, we uh, we are a collaboration platform that 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 helps uh, any educational institution, either it's a preschool uh, up till uh, university, to to build a competency based uh, uh, program that can be personalized for each user's needs. And uh, the Karirmu program is a, a specific branch of our program that that focus on uh, educational programs from uh, vocational schools or uh, companies and uh, industries. And they, they, they offer their program for uh, secondary school students uh, and uh, university students. That's the biggest uh, user of our platform uh, currently. So in, in terms of the age range, uh, we, we're focusing on the 15 up to uh, 22. That's the biggest age range. And uh, another growing segment, uh, especially during this pandemic, is, is the one at the lower end of the spectrum. So our, uh, uh, the users of our preschool program up to the early grades, uh, primary one to three, has also been growing quite fast during the past three months. I'd like to talk about some of the challenges of the day. Uh, Indonesia is ranked number 65 out of 73 participant countries in the PISA math, science, and reading ranking. Only 24% of Indonesian students pass the level two or above in math. This compares to 86% in Vietnam and 92% in Singapore. Simple question, where do we begin to tackle this problem? I've been a, a very uh, strong and loud advocate as educators on these issues, Alan. I, you know, uh, that uh, our education is in a state of emergency. Is It uh, has been, you know, a regular uh, part of my, my, my talks uh, everywhere. It's just, I think, uh, we need to begin tackling this problem by understanding the sense of urgency because even that, I don't think it's it's something that apparent within the ecosystem. Most of the stakeholders, you know, uh, governments, um, teachers, uh, parents, everyone that needs to be part of this reform are, are, are quite happy with the fact that the children are at schools even though they're not actually learning. And if you're looking into the, the data, it's not only the the PISA scores that 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 actually shows how how far behind our uh, education results and students' achievement compared to other countries. Even our national uh, examination data, the the competency assessments that has been uh, done regularly uh, within the system shows that uh, in the basic foundational skills, uh, our students are basically you know they they they're not achieving. Uh, what the system is is trying to uh, to achieve. So it's uh, Indonesia is the biggest examples of schooling without uh, learning. So having the sense of urgency is urgent because we really need to accelerate uh, reform. And I I always believe that the best way to uh, to to do an intervention is start with you know the one who's actually in the battlefield, the teachers. Uh, increasing their uh, competencies, ensuring that they understand how to teach at the right level, uh, uh, plan uh, the the lessons that fit to the students' uh, need, uh, do a regular assessment, give a consistent feedback loop to the uh, students about their uh, performance and set the right uh, target based on the student's ability. And that's where technology 
can really really help student uh, can really really help students and the teachers to do that in the most uh, efficient way. Oh, that's fascinating, Ila. Um, you mentioned that there's a widespread satisfaction that nearly all of Indonesia's children are in school. So people are pleased with the inputs. I think you're very much focused on the outputs. I, I recently read that Indonesia has a net enrollment rate for schooling of 93%, but only 55% of Indonesians who complete school are functionally literate. Uh, and I think that uh, I mean this, this is another way to phrase uh, one of the main challenges you're trying to tackle. Is that correct? Yes, we, we, we need a different proxy of quality, Alan. You know, for, for years, for tens of years, we've been using the national examinations or, you know, the university level exams as indicator of quality. We use that one single indicator as, you know, as an, the one and only assessment where we label students' achievement, where we uh, label uh, schools' achievement or even parents' uh, achievement. Well, it's, it's been a wrong proxy since the very beginning. Why? Because it's mainly content-based. You don't really teach someone to be literate uh, when, you know, you give them information to acquire. When you're talking about literacy in, uh, in the modern world, in the knowledge academy, you really need to move much higher than just acquisition of uh, information. But if the system kind of like, you know, uh, focus on the wrong thing. Education is a backward design. So, you know, if, if you focus on one thing as a, as a result or as, as an output uh, indicator, then all the process of teaching will be teaching to the test. All the process of the planning will be coverage of the content. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that one of the, the biggest um, policy of uh, reform that has been introduced at the end of last year was to actually to to reform the whole assessment system so hopefully it will it will uh, direct more well-rounded approach in teaching and shift paradigm of uh, success that uh, you know has been uh, inhibiting a lot of innovation to happen in Indonesia's education ecosystem in order to reform this assessment system, how long do you think that will take? Actually, I'm part of an uh, independent uh, nonprofit foundation who's working uh, closely with uh, government in in developing this uh, reform as well. And I think uh, the the timeline is uh, to start uh, piloting uh, uh, at the end of this year, and uh, hopefully there will be uh, a lot of uh, changes that's that's happening, and we can clearly uh, see in the next academic year. Ila, what specific role can technology play in offering more equal access to high-quality teaching across Indonesia? Well, technology can scale. Technology can uh, can scale and actually enhance the quality. Because I I, I really want to be careful if you're if you're using the term scalability with uh, pedagogy or you know any other uh, terms in education because then you, you will fall into the trap of uh, using technology, but actually scaling the wrong practice. You're, you're, you're merely scaling uh, old practices. You're merely scaling uh, the 19th century uh, practice that hasn't been changed and doesn't actually um, help students to gain uh, the well-rounded, their well-rounded uh, competencies. So 
uh, I think uh, the first thing that we need to prove as someone who's doing education technology is that whatever we scale, the way we work, the way we, we actually help teachers uh, to do uh, to be better at their job, uh, students to learn better, etc., is that we, we, we scale the right uh, method. The, the variety of uh, choices that uh, and the resources that you can access uh, through our platforms are, are, are basically unlimited instead of just you know using the resources that that's usually uh, available in one schools and you know uh, with with the platform that that encourage you to collaborate you can actually, uh, shared resources. You can you can uh, adapt certain uh, best practice. You can give more flexibility and choices uh, for students uh, to learn in a way that's really personalized. Because even the best schools, and you know, I I, I run schools, so I know this. Even the best schools with you know the the highest resources, uh, the one like Chikal who's been you know doing very. Uh, rigorous process in selecting the teachers. We cannot cater for thousands of different needs that our students have. So technology can really help schools uh, to do their job better and to meet the students' need better. Where I truly believe that uh, all the transparency that technology brings, uh, because it, uh, the feedback loop from students then become a very important part of the uh, learning. And, and usually this basic feedback loop is something that's not happening in the classroom. Students are either, you know, stuck with certain teachers and uh, teachers, even in their best intention, if they don't get feedback on what works and what doesn't work, if they don't get uh, real-time uh, feedback on what the students actually need, what they can do, etc., they cannot become a better teachers. And that's where I, uh, I believe technology roles can really transform education. Yila, you have mentioned a few times outcomes. Are there any specific outcomes that you are proudest of uh, with your first batches uh, as Sekolomu? Any, any results that you can share with us that uh, give you confidence that, uh, that you're on the right path? Yes, I think in terms of uh, uh, students, we've been uh, we've been getting very positive uh, feedback uh, from the students who's been joining our Karirmu uh, program. The the Karirmu program is uh, it's a very broad program that that runs by companies and vocational schools, and it's it's uh, most of our programs are blended uh, programs. Uh, for students, it's it's truly a life changing experience that they get to be exposed to uh, professionals on the field who don't usually have the opportunity to come to schools, or even if they if they come to schools, then it will be you know very limited to uh, certain numbers of students instead of uh, just uh, serving uh, instead of serving thousands of students in different schools at the same time. So. Uh, uh, joining the program, for example, in, uh, in, in multinational companies, in uh, uh, small, medium companies who focus on creative industries, all those experiences that, that, that in the past has been limited to uh, certain students with certain networks or, you know, going to certain private schools uh, have now been democratized. You know, everyone has the, the opportunity to have that link uh, uh, between schools and uh, industries. And I think uh, seeing that uh, as part of my day-to-day -day work, talking to the 
students who who never thought that they would have the opportunity and talking to the people the professionals from different companies who 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 actually find the internal reward of contributing to education nurturing young talents it's it's been priceless uh, Alan Ela, do you feel that there are limits to monetizing an education in the private sector? Is there a sensitivity about how aggressive the service providers can charge for their services? I think if you're looking into a public and private uh, partnership scheme in uh, in Indonesia, then there there are a lot of uh, questions about you know uh, which part is uh, supposedly uh, have to be a government uh, uh, job uh, and and which one that you know you can uh, monetize or uh, capitalize in, in in that sense. And in terms of the regulation, there are there are a lot of things that. Uh, need to be fixed uh, on that front, but I think if you're if you're talking about education, one thing that I really believe it's 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 not a matter of public and private. It's actually a common good. It's 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 a rights that you know uh, everyone need to have a, a access to quality education because you know that's 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 basically uh, something that 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 will escalate your uh, your life, escalate the society to the next uh, level. I think my my main concern, if you're talking about you know monetization, is where the government uh, money actually spent on, because uh, one of the basic uh, problem in Indonesia's education is inequality, and I think uh, one of the major issue is that um, the one that actually need the most help, that that needs affirmative actions, they've been exposed to double inequality because they're the one who's been getting. Uh, services uh, from uh, very low capacities, uh, private schools, or you know, uh, 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 a not so high quality uh, education. While you know, in if you're looking into uh, the structure of uh, our government schools, our public, uh, our public schools, uh, the one that's been getting subsidized is actually the one who's you know who's able to pay more. And and I think. Uh, uh, there, there needs to be a different strategies on 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 which part of the uh, government's effort that need to be uh, addressed to to tackle these inequality issues, and in which part that actually the private uh, sectors can uh, can contribute and 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 serve a, a population that can actually and should be able to to pay for a service that's that's needed beyond the basic requirement. I'm not sure if this is an overly sensitive question, but Ila, do you feel like a lot of the high-profile edutech platforms are really more focused on making those with resources and strong base educations even more advantaged? Or uh, do you see a number of platforms that are really pursuing the mission of offering a more easily accessible education to more people across Indonesia? Well, digital divide is real. That you know, different access of technology uh, increase the achievement and opportunity gap. Is it's something real, Alan? It's 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 not a made up story. It's 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 not the things that only happens in Indonesia. So so I think uh, even having that understanding that if you if you do education then you are an educator if you start an education technology company then you need to think of 
each and every single students uh, in a way. And you need to be really careful about, you know, the message that you're amplifying in the ecosystem. You need to be really careful about uh, which uh, practice that you uh, scale and which population that you serve. And, and always believe that there, there needs to be a balance in the way you, uh, you, you run your business because in, in it's, it's education is... It's, it's never merely a business. This is this is the one that I keep uh, telling even my partners, my investors. I'm 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 in the field to do good. Uh, I'm 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 in the field to to offer the best uh, quality education that a child can uh, can get. So if you if you don't uh, believe in your product, if you if you couldn't find a way to reach as many uh, students and to give the the biggest impact than you can that you can, then you're in the wrong field. In the realm of current events, how successful has distance learning been in Indonesia during the COVID-19 era? Uh, it's, it's, you know, I've been, I think the COVID-19 era, uh, era actually showed the inequality issues more clearly than, you know, uh, before uh, COVID. The, the, for certain uh, students, uh, Learning from home, using all the digital uh, resources that are provided, you know, uh, for free by education or technology companies, or you know, some are uh, uh, you need to pay certain uh, amount of money to get it. Has been probably a better uh, situation than before COVID, where they're you know they're stuck in the classroom in certain uh, very rigid learning hours or uh, subject sets where they don't actually have a choice. So. So the education uh, technology companies have 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 worked really well in in helping uh, certain uh, uh, class of the population. But if you're talking about the the situation uh, here, uh, the the access to that uh, education technology or any 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 learning platform uh, has been an issue in most part of the countries, Ellen. So for for a lot of our students, uh, this uh, COVID learning from home period has basically been a long holiday, and we, we we will have a lot of challenge when you know when we're back for the new normal in 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 trying to assess uh, uh, students uh, level the learning gap and achievement gap that we need to be you know uh, uh, do a lot of uh, catching up after the schools are are back to normal. If if we if we're not successful in 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 changing that attitude, in making uh, the teachers less anxious about uh, technology, in 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 giving the best experience to our students through digital learning in in COVID nineteen, then uh, we we won't be able to retain any believers of education technology after the new normal period. Everyone will just go back to their usual uh, practice. Uh, doing all this uh, offline uh, learning, not integrating enough technology, etc. So I think the past three months uh, was a great opportunity for education technology to 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 prove our values, uh, uh, to give significant contribution. And the next uh, three months will be another stage where we still need to engage all those uh, stakeholders. Uh, uh, in adopting uh, this approach, and uh, hopefully it will stay for years and years to come. Let's go back to a big picture question. Where do you think the private sector should step in, Ila, and where should the government step in, given all the challenges you've outlined? 
I truly believe that if you talk about innovation, then the innovation needs to come from the private sectors. And this has come from, you know, having personal experience working at policy level as well. The bureaucracy is just, you know, it's it's a very difficult uh, ground to do innovation. There are there are so many uh, regulations. There are too many blockers uh, within the ecosystem to to give you enough room to to experiment to 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 do uh, things in a new way, etc. So I think uh, we need to count on to count on the private sectors to do a lot of innovation, but we also need a a government that 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 ready to embrace the 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 uh, examples of best practice and 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 scale it all over the country because because uh, the reality is uh, uh, if you're talking about uh, around three hundred thousand schools, four million teachers. Uh, 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 50 more than 50 million students, then none of the private companies will be able to do that scale. There needs to be a collaboration between uh, private sectors and the government to, to, to be able to tackle this huge, huge problem in Indonesia's education ecosystem. A topic that's near and dear to a lot of our listeners' hearts, uh, whether they're entrepreneurs or venture capitalists, what progress have we made in improving STEM instruction in Indonesia, I think if you if you're talking about uh, STEM instructions, we 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 really need uh, to be careful in not only talking about you know a technical uh, side of STEM, like you know uh, doing uh, coding or uh, lab sciences at uh, classes etc. is really important, but but I think uh, the role of uh, basic literacy and numeracy, the ability to solve uh, problems, to to think critically and creatively, that's that's all actually the basic competencies that will that will lead to a higher competencies in STEM, uh, to you know, to to any kind of profession in the related uh, STEM field. So I think I'm I'm. Uh, I'm really excited in in seeing more and more uh, reform in terms of curriculum, where you know basic science will be uh, introduced, uh, uh, the um, structural uh, and uh, systemic thinking will be a big part of the new curriculum, and uh, and and more and more training on on teachers on learning how to learn, learning how to uh, think, and actually be able to. To scale this and and do uh, meaningful conversation, uh, develop a, a inquiry-based approach in in the classroom. Uh, I think all those uh, changes in curriculum will, will will be able to to accelerate our uh, our effort in uh, graduating more and more uh, STEM graduates from uh, the ecosystem. Well, this concludes our third installment of Indotechno. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ila. We hope you, the listener, have enjoyed the episode and welcome any and all other feedback on the show. My email is alan at gizmoadvisors.com, alan at g-i-z-m-o hyphen advisors.com. Please do visit our website at indo-techno.com, indo-techno.com if you'd like to be put on our mailing list for new episodes. If you enjoyed the podcast overall, we would also deeply appreciate any feedback you can furnish on Apple Podcasts. The podcast was translated from English to Bahasa by Alpha JWC Ventures. Terima kasih untuk mendengarkan. Sampai jumpa lagi. Mm-hmm.